Welcome to the Modern Hippie Podcast, where we'll be exploring all of my favorite boundary-pushing people and topics surrounding consciousness, psychedelics, mental performance, functional medicine, living in alignment, and so much more. I'm your host, Barrett Perlman, a former pro wakeboarder turned body worker, energy healer, and well, a modern hippie. And I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back to the Modern Hippie Podcast. I am joined today by Dr. John Churchill, who is a teacher of the Buddhist fourth turning planetary dharma, author of Becoming Buddha, a Buddhist contemplative psychologist, and co-founder of Karuna Mandala. Thank you so much for joining me today, John. Thank you, Barrett. Oh, man. I am so excited to have you as a guest today. Um, I discovered you on the Aubrey Marcus podcast, who is like, his podcast is just full of gold, and you were one of them. And I heard your interview with him, and I was so mind blown. I was like, I don't even think most people I know are even ready to hear what you're talking about. Um, so you do, you practice basically Buddhist contemplative psychology. And what is that? What is Buddhist psychology? Um, well, Buddhism as a mind science is as comprehensive as Western psychology. So um, if you think of all the different kinds of Western psychologies that we have, that's also true of Buddhist psychology. But generally, Western psychology focuses on the processes of growth from in infanthood to adulthood and buddhist psychology focuses on from adulthood to buddhahood so what is what are the stages mm. you know you, you've gone through significant stages of growth from when you were wearing a diaper as have i <laughs> and you know those we've gone <laughs> significant developmental stages that you can look back and, and you can say wow those i was i was really in a different stage of development and the thing that happens in our culture, we become an adult and then we feel like that's that's completed. But really, from the perspective of the Buddhist tradition, you're probably maybe a third of the way or maybe, you know, halfway on a path of, of full adult development. So, you know, Buddhist psychology is looking at what are the far potentials of human growth? You know, you know, and, and Buddhahood mm. is is the term that they give for what full, the actualization of full human potential. Mm. And is that the state of like living in, in Nirvana? Is that the state of like full awakening and awareness? Well, I mean, Nirvana, Nirvana is a term that means extinction, right? So what Nirvana means is, is that all negative states have been extinguished. So from a Western point of view, Nirvana is like the full extinguishing of all effects of multi-generational trauma, right? So that's what Nirvana is, Shh, guys, excuse me. And, and, um, and then well, there's that dimension, which is about like the ending of suff the ending of suffering. And then you have another dimension, which has got to do with the, the flourishing of all positive qualities or all positive capacities. So all positive, you know, the development of, of the, all the positive states of mind, and then also the development of the kind of uh, 
awareness that can maintain its consciousness through waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. Um, and then also mm. the development of all kinds of um, cities, all kinds of powers. So, you know, a full kind of a full, a full process of cleaning up the past, like uh, maturing and flourishing as a, as a self, and then the development of kind of future potentials. How interesting. Well, I've been reading your book, which I have right here. Becoming oh, Buddha. Right. <laughs> and yeah, it's a good little, it's a good read. Um, yeah. Anything to help me start getting these concepts through my head because I have signed up for your year-long program that starts in January, uh, which is the only way to work with you next year. So that was how I, I really got pulled into that. Um, and so interesting that, you know, nirvana is the extinguishment of all things suffering and negative and those cycles. And then there's state after that is, is pleasure, embracing the pleasure, yes, yes. seeking well, the pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's dukkha. Have you heard the term dukkha? Suffering. And then there's sukha. Sukha means, yeah. so the, in, in Buddhist psychology, they often talk about um, the term dukkha or suffering. And what dukkha literally means is it's a Sanskrit word that means what happens when a wheel um, gets spun in mud and doesn't go mm. anywhere. So we all know what it's mm. like to have our wheels spinning and not go anywhere. Um, so totally. that's what that's what their definition of suffering is, and the definition the opposite of that is sukha, which is actually the term for bliss, which is that actually mm. understanding that our bodies and our nervous systems are wired for um, positive states, and that actually our intrinsic nature is good. It's just that it's covered up by the inheritance of multi generational trauma, and that when that's purified. Mm. What's left behind is the inherent goodness of of being a human being. Hmm. I like that because I feel like that's almost, and I'm sure that the the cycle of cognitive origination would kind of argue with this a little bit. But children tend to be born with that sense of goodness before it gets all messed up. I know there's the trauma of coming into this world, but that's like the closest you could say that we start to it, and then have to get rid of everything that we experience to get back there to get back there right interesting yeah how did you get into buddhism well um i started pretty i started pretty young uh i was i um yeah i mean going way back i think i used to like astral project out of my body when i was like four or five years old and and kind of fly around the house as a kid and, mm. and so um i was pretty i was kind of aware that the reality was there was more to reality than what everybody said that there was um and mm. so i think you know starting like 12 13 i grew up in a family where these things were um kind of on the table i had a grandmother who was really into Zen meditation and um, Jungian dream work. So I started getting coached in dream work when I was like twelve, and we had each other wow. yoga teacher come to the class, come to our house when I and and so I, I began to learn about meditation and yoga twelve, thirteen years old, and by the time I was like fifteen, like that was like I was just really 
fascinated with well it became pretty evident to me that there must there had to be more to human evolution than what i was seeing around me <laughs> right <laughs> um so that's kind of so i started i started off pretty young and um i studied uh you know both the kind of western traditions i was interested in um kind of a um Jewish Kabbalah and Western ritual magic and, you know, Sufi practices and alchemy and those kinds of things. But I mean, as I matured in later adolescence and it was time to like, well, where, you know, where are the, where are the great masters still alive? Where am I going to find people to, that I can really go and study with? Um, I mean, the, the Tibetan Buddhist tradition probably has like still some of the, uh, you know, the most potent initiatory systems, uh, on the planet that are still functioning. So, um, mm. you know, I'm not really, I wouldn't say that I'm a Buddhist. I'm more of a Gnostic in the sense that I'm interested in all the world's wisdom traditions. It's just, that I've had particular mm. training within the, um, within the Indo-Tibetan one, but I'm, I'm interested in all wisdom, right? All wisdom and, and understanding of what it means to be a human being. Um, yeah, I spent mm. some time as as a monk, as a when I was like 20, 21, and I came to the States to study at the Naropa Institute, which is like a Buddhist university here in Colorado. Um, yeah, so it's been like a, it's been a, the main focus of my life now for about more than 30 years. Wow. Yeah. I love that um, you're just a seeker of wisdom. I feel like that's the the best way to live out in the world is constantly seeking to gain the knowledge of that, which you don't know. And because there's so much and each, each sector and facet of the world has its own wonderful knowledge to share with us. Um, gosh, what a blessing to have had a household that encouraged that. I mean, mm -hmm. I was growing up and my grandparents almost disowned me for trying to check out a book about paganism from the library. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, no. uh, yeah. I yeah, think I back to like that was in. You were what? I was blessed in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, lucky. Um. Wow. And so you've been spending these last, would you say, several decades dedicated to to Buddhism? And are you still astrally projecting all over the place? How has that changed <laughs> how you show up in the unified field? Uh, no, I, I, um, yeah, I think I've left those days behind. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Buddhist, yeah. Buddhist, I mean, there was a certain amount of the, of, of those practices within the Buddhist tradition, but the focus is, is much more on, um, kind of like becoming, you know, becoming the unified field rather than flying through it. Mm. You know, it's, it's <laughs> It's like you know, ra rather than rather than um, you know, rather than getting in a little rowboat and rowing across the ocean, it's that the focus is really on becoming the ocean. Um, mm. So that's all my. Um, it's a different kind of different level of study. Right. right. Like, you know, what is what what does human potential look like when we are able to shift our basis of identity from being located within a body located within a self 
um, located within time and space, located within duality, like what happens as we shift our basis of operation. So it's really about, you know, shifting, learning to, to shift one's identity, right? So that we are kind of mm-hmm. able to function as, as many different levels of identity simultaneously. So simultaneously being a human and simultaneously being the unified field, right? Both of them at the same time. Mm. Yeah, which is um, having experienced that here and there myself is is pure magic. Um, I took your one-day workshop on metacognitive awareness, and Mm -hmm. that was fucking great. Um, You really tied together a lot of concepts. Tied together a lot of concepts that I thought I was only going to be able to tap into through plant medicines. And um, I remember I said to you something about that. And I was like, you know, you're, you're bridging this gap for me between plant medicines and having that existence every day. And, and you said something to me that's really just stuck as the most empirical wisdom that I received that day, which was that just me having that thought and that belief that it didn't extend outside the plant medicine was my own self-limiting belief. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dropping wisdom bombs. Yeah. 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 So the, so the plant wisdom, the plant medicine, how did that, how did you reflect now and how did that affect your, like there was something in the meditation where you're like, Oh, this is similar. What, what was it that was similar? Mm. Um, so, metacognitive awareness as you were teaching us is basically finding the boundary, not finding, but searching for the boundaries in all Mm -hmm. of our senses and essentially not finding them because they don't exist. And as you search beyond the awareness of your body and try to find the boundary where your skin stops and the space around your skin begins, it just gets so infinitesimally small that that you discover that there is no boundary. (laughs) And so as you relax, for me specifically, into to that sensation, you begin to feel pure connectedness to the unified field and that pure dissolution that I think is associated with the ego dissolution on plant medicines. Mm-hmm. And as the ego dissolves, it's not that you disappear because obviously the second you identify that you're dissolving, your ego is still fully present, um, but you become more you become everything you become connected to it all and that was what was very reminiscent for me of plant medicines was like that first step past the dmt breakthrough where the the harder i would surrender and release and relax the more i would dissolve and dissipate and uh, i started to feel that through what you were teaching us with metacognitive awareness mm-hmm. right right yeah so 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 the question around plant medicine versus meditation. Um, mm. I mean, the thing about what the plant, what the plant medicine does for many people, it, gi- it gives them a, a potent enough experience. It, it it raises the energy level in our experience enough that we can perceive that um, through through the state that that everything is interconnected, right? Um, so it raises mm-hmm. it raises the energy level up. It's, it would be similar, like if you do really intense breath work, right? If you do, if you can raise the energy level up beyond a certain limit, 
then we get access to being able to, in that state, to, to know that things are interconnected. The difference from the kind of, from a meditative approach is that, um, well, first, I think it's important to know that those kinds of techniques were always a part of the mystery schools. So plant medicine work and, and breath work, those more ecstatic approaches um, were always part of the traditions. But in the long run, after, you know, decades after decades after decades of practice, you don't want to be continually drinking the juice 20, 30 years from now in order to, right, you know. So, so in order to develop, yeah. in order to develop the trait capacity, right, so the difference between state and trait is that a trait capacity means that that's how your mind is functioning, right? So for trait capacity, it means you actually have to train your cognition. And by cognition here, I don't mean thinking. I mean your perspective taking. You have to train, the mind has to train to see through or to understand the nature of our experience in a deeper way. And when you do that, when you, when you train the mind that way, those states that are usually accessible through medicines become permanent traits, right? And so then it becomes a, like a developmental, a developmental acquisition. It doesn't go away. So, and, 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 and I don't know, I don't know, I honestly just don't know if medicine work does that. Um, the only way I would really? think it does, yeah. Well, it, it, over meaning over decades, I, I, I haven't I haven't had enough discussions with you know with shamans to to um, to know if that's the case or not. Um, I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, I would love to introduce you to one. Um, if you're not familiar with Hamilton Souther, he's been doing um, ayahuasca shamanism for twenty years. Um, kind of the first Westerner to become a shaman and he's recently become my mentor and mm-hmm. uh, the, oh, the way that he sits and exists. Yeah. He's uh, he sits and exists as a, a different kind of person and his connection and the way that he can man, not manipulates. I mean, manipulate is the correct word, but it carries somewhat negative connotations with it, but um, affect change in the source code just, is uh it's profound and powerful to well that's wonderful know, to hear what he wills comes to fruition mm-hmm. yeah so um how did you use plant medicine on your journey uh well it was it was more part of my journey when i was younger um because the kind of mm-hmm. training at least the the traditional training that i had is you know you, you, it's it's kind of normal states and then learning to develop your own altered states rather than using you know um plants but um you know as a as a kid i had experiment uh, worked with um of course cannabis and mushrooms and lsd um dmt um you know so i've, I've always been really curious it's just the journey of the last 30 years took me more up into the mountains if you will and and not down into the jungles <laughs> they either prefer one or the other the mountains the jungles or yeah i don't think i prefer one or the other actually i think if it had been 
if it had been included as part of my of my like apprenticeship and studies, I would have been like, you know, absolutely. But um, at least while you're getting, at least while you're training, it's good to master one system. It's good to like have, really have a good handle on one system first. At least that was my, mm. you know. Now, now I'm looking forward to learning much more about plant medicine. Oh, fantastic! I love to be joining you on your journey at this time. <laughs> that is my favorite. Um, and so, what is metacognitive awareness for my listeners who don't know? Um. Well, I mean, let's let's okay. Basic model of human experience. Um, we have our attentional system, right? So our attentional mm-hmm. system right now is what's um, listening and attending to to each other. And to the listeners who are listening right now, their attentional system is that part of their mind that is able to follow and attend and to separate um, out information out from the field, right? And the attentional system is at the very center of the ego structure. So the ego structure is maintained by the attention. In fact, um, you can think of the attention as the fusion with the attention, which is what the source of the sense of being separate from the wider field, right? That wider field, mm. if we're constantly pulled into to an attention, then we're not able to experience or we're not we're not as aware as we could but could be of that wider field. Now. Um, Awareness, on the other hand, is is global, right? So the difference between attention and awareness is that right now, as we're looking at each other, our attention can can see each other's faces on the screen, but our awareness can look at the whole room, right? And so awareness is always like 360, right? It's always on, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're functioning that way, right? So most people actually are functioning inside of their mm. attentional system the whole time, and they never are taking in the whole field. I mean, and that's one of the things that happens with plant medicine is you get flooded with information, <laughs> which which basically pops the attentional system, and all of that information is flowing through, and it kind of opens up the aperture of the ego, Right, you can think of the attentional mm-hmm. system as the ego aperture, and for most people, it's like it's a pretty small sphincter. Right now, now <laughs> metacognitive <laughs> awareness. What's metacognitive? Metacognitive awareness is, um, you know, basically, uh, um, well, on a simple level, it's basically being able to take perspective on your experience. So, I mean, if you're able to witness your own experience and know that you're witnessing your experience, that's a certain kind of metacognitive awareness. But in the, um, in the Buddhist tradition, they've really refined what we would call insight meditation. And, and insight is really insight. Meditation is really about metacognition. So, it would be about ex- examining with your intelligence the conventional structures that appear to format experience. So, for instance, um, 
I think one of the things we were exploring that weekend is like the, uh, well, dualistic perception, for instance, right? Like um, we tend to believe that there's a world out there that's out there that we're seeing and that, that we're inside behind our eyeballs looking at the world, right? And of course, when we mm. poke our eye, it feels like that. But, but actually, if you examine with your intelligence, which so metacognitive awareness is usually a search into the nature of how you are constructing experience. So if we were to search right now to see if we could find like, where does this outside world end? And then where does your awareness begin, right? Is, is like awareness just behind the eyeball, right? Well, if you actually take time and you are exploring the boundary, you begin to realize that there isn't a boundary in an indirect experience, right? And that actually kind of neuroscientists, cognitive scientists understand that we experience the world much more like we experience a dream. And that actually what the world that you're experiencing right now that appears to be outside is actually being completely generated within awareness, right? Completely generated within, within mm. mind. So there's no outside, there's no inside, right? So that kind of insight, right? If you, if you literally do that as a practice, after a while, it literally wires that capacity in right? That that's literally how your perception is. And that would be the same thing for the, for the body, right? Like the, um, we tend to believe that our body has boundaries because we see that the body has boundaries. And then we project that onto our experience in every moment, like, oh, I, I'm in a body and my body has boundaries. Right. But if you take the time and the mind is quietened and you go inside and you begin to explore well, where are the boundaries of the body and how deep is the body? And as you begin to look, which is what this metacognitive capacity is, you begin to experience, well, actually, huh, my awareness appears to extend beyond the boundaries of the body. Right. So that kind of now that kind of metacognitive process is involved in all development. So if you think of an infant, like an infant, they're fused, they're completely fused with their experience. They're fused with their body. They're fused with their emotions. They're so fused with their body that they can't control their body. And so as they mm. de develop a metacognitive capacity to see the body as an object, then we gain control of the body and now you can move your body. And then the same thing happens emotionally. Like when you're four or five years old, three, four, five, your emotions are all over the place. And as you begin to get some distance, you can begin to see that you're not the emotions, so to speak, right? And that you begin to get some distance on it. And that's the same thing with, uh, mm -hmm. with our thought processes is that, you know, when you're, when we first begin to use our minds, we're really fused with thought. And then as we go through adolescence, we, we learn metacognitive, metacognitively that you can think about different ways of thinking. So not only do you have a primary, primary way of thinking, you learn that you can think about how, 
do I want to think like this or do I want to think like that? Right. Mm -hmm. So you can see that there's a process here. And then you get to a certain point where actually the, the next step is, well, you go beyond the structure itself and now you have pure awareness. Right. And now mm. what are the structures that are left that might be um, structuring pure awareness? Well, there might be the sense that you're in a body. So you actually can search into the body, realize that you're not fused with the body, and then the awareness becomes a little bigger. And then that same process happens with time and space. If you investigate the nature of time and space, same thing happens. Mm. Oh, time and space are structures, awareness can then get you know, even bigger. Each one of those moves is, is kind of facilitated by a metacognitive capacity. So metacognition is vital yeah. for like for growth all the way up, right? From being an infant. And also it's it's a part of um pathology. So um if you take a pathology like uh, a narcissistic injury, for instance. So in a narcissistic injury, um somebody might have the metacognitive capacity to like self-organize their own emotional experience but actually have no metacognition of their own inner, their own inner state. Like they, like they, they won't even be aware that there's anybody at home. Because wow. if, if, you, if you're a kid, if you're a child, for instance, and your parents never ask you, Barrett, how are you, how are you feeling today? Barrett, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? If nobody actually asks those questions our minds don't develop the capacity to ask those questions inside. Hmm. How am I feeling? What do I think? Right? So imagine, I mean, th these, these are perspectives that you take. You, you probably do this naturally without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But some people don't even have the capacity to do that because they never did that with their minds. Yeah, it's interesting to think it would have been uh, ingrained in people so early. I mean, I specifically can think that I run into that when dating um, or used to run into that much more frequently when dating and um, questions get asked, well, why do you feel that way? Or um, now as I work with clients to to change their mindsets and to shift their perspectives, um, some of the questions that seem so basic to me to ask, like, oh, well, when did that shift for you? Or... Uh, and they're like, I, I don't know. And I'm like, well, is that what you're doing suiting you? As you seem to be telling me all these negative results you're having is is the way that you are locked into in your mental system. Is that working for you? And they're like, it's just the way I am. And I'm like, okay, well, let's let's break down that system. Let's ask more questions. Let's let's dig deeper and unearth some more of those details. And so do you have systems to help develop develop that for people yeah i mean that ability to you, go further inwards yeah what, what you're describing is what you're doing with your clients is is your you know your your parenting them essentially right because th those are those are the <laughs> questions that somebody well yeah those are the questions that somebody should have asked us all yeah. of us how do you feel right now i don't know mm -hmm. how i feel right now um yeah the the, the, the <laughs> right literally <laughs> basics <laughs> literally i mean it's that sad it's it's that sad is that some of us never like 
somebody never asked you, how are you feeling? So, oh, I have feelings, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and that, right. that, so those, um, those kinds of exercises go all the way up, you know, all the way up to, to full Buddhahood. Mm. Meaning, um, it's the same. If, if we were to think of, uh, you know, like being a coach or being a therapist never ended. It's this, it's just the same process, mm. except that there are um, more and more stages of, of growth and development and, and deeper levels of identity and of, um, of experience in the world that can be opened up. Mm. Are you at full Buddhahood? <laughs> I, I i don't know no 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 i don't you know i, I it, the the journey never ends mm-hmm. yeah the journey never ends. i don't i don't really i don't uh, i have no idea i'm a i'm a <laughs> i'm a human being well someone from your class told me that you can personally transcend space and time and i was like oh god i gotta get to know this dr john guy god i get to know him well <laughs> I too would love to teleport. That's, I mean, well, these are, yeah, this is true, but these are, these, um, these capacities aren't as, um, they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're less about acquisitions as they are about, um, surrender, you know, surrendering. Mm. It's a, that's why it's such a difficult question because, the the part the part of me that you're asking the question quite clearly isn't do you know what i mean <laughs> right like it's <laughs> right and it would be disingenuous if this if if this functioning was to say yes because clearly it's not this functioning is an ego structure mm. right? so you know, so there's so that we i think you know we're human beings I mean, so much of that, of, about the awakening process um, in the deeper levels is recognizing, you see, that the, that the, that the ego, there were, there, were some, there were some significant phases in, um, in the journey. One of the journeys is the journey of individuation, right? And that's a, to some extent, that's a journey about cleaning up, about differentiating from being fused with our early childhood environment and our cultural environment. Right. And that's kind of therapy does that. And some personal growth does that. Um, and if you do that work, you become a, you know, well-functioning, capable human being. Right. And then you have an initiative. Then you have like the, the initiatory process. So initiation, if you will, is a process of kind of deepening into soul. Right. And I think, you know, soul here, we can say being like, um, that dimension of us that journeys through eternity, right? So um, that part of us that journeys from life to life that is still an individual expression of the sacred. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, so we have that process and then there's a third process of identification. And so the, the identification process is really about Kind of recognizing the the kind of the fundamental ground of being that, that was that's beyond 
that's beyond the personality and beyond the soul, right? And in that sense, there is no journey in eternity because there is no time. And those those three different those three different um, those are three like that's personality, soul, and spirit, right? And those are three different mm-hmm. dimensions. And the real alchemy is is once you've kind of individuated and then there's an initiatory process and then there's a process of identification is like bringing all those three together, right? And, you know, like what does it really mean yeah. to be a full human being um, who's a, who is a, you know, a humble human um, without the smell of nug chumper, right? <laughs> you know, like. Being, being, <laughs> but I love nug chumper. <laughs> We all love Nug Champa, but you know what I mean? Like in the sense of being, um, you know, like just being, being a human as we are and at the same time being a soul and at the same time being spirit. Mm. Yeah. I can see how that's uh, quite the journey to go on. Um, you know, for, I think me, we're on for it. me personally, I, yeah, you can't get off. <laughs> um, but I, I recall growing up through, you know, my parents put me in therapy when I was eight years old. That was the the first time I ever wanted to kill myself. And growing up then through therapy gave me a deep awareness of self because I had someone else asking me those questions in formative years. Um, right. And then it was sort of through meditation that that got me into that next like soul level and plant medicines that got me to that spirit level. Where um, just just recently having had that full full expression of seeing other people's energy like thought fields coming off of them and feeling that that finger on the pulse um, devoid of separation between time and space where I could see everything as it had happened in the past as it was happening in the future and I could immediately feel everything that I was to create in this specific lifetime just just sitting on the outside of this third dimensional reality. And it's, it's almost like I just have to like reach out and grab it and do expend the energy to bring it into this dimension now. Like it all already exists. And um, it's been some interesting lessons in, in surrender. And um, it's, it was like really blowing my mind until I heard you start talking about metacognitive awareness. I thought it was something only attainable through plant medicines um, well, you know, the, the visualizations, like you can see this, this deity behind me, but I mean, those are the visualizations are like templates that allow that process to happen. Mm. So not only is there, um, a kind of, a, a, a an awareness process to the extent that we want to, to like, to manifest what it is that we're trying to manifest to the extent that, um, we'll put it this way how we see ourselves and how the how how we see the self and how the world is that they're constructed at the same time so you and i mm-hmm. when we construct a, a sense of self we also construct a world now what that also means is when you transform the sense of self not just in terms of like shifting your level of awareness well that's the first thing is you learn how to shift your level of awareness to becoming the unified field once you're the universe, unified mm. field, then from a creative process, you can return 
but you don't return as John or Barrett. You return as this other being, right? Which is, they call this creation stage, creativity stage. And because to the extent that you can return as this other being, the world starts to change because the world has been held in, in, in a certain shape because you've been holding yourself in a certain shape. Right? So mm-hmm. there's a whole, you know, within, within this tradition, there's a whole, the, the whole magical um, dimension, which is very similar to the, the kind of shamanic magical dimensions of the, um, of the medicine traditions. It's, it's quite similar using the only difference being is, is that rather than using plant medicine, you're using meditative states, but very similar in terms of learning how to not manipulate, but play with reality and how to, how to manifest, um, you know, the, 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 the emphasis in the, in the kind of the Buddhist tradition is, is around like the kind of the manifestation in terms of, for the sake of, of all, of all beings, right. For the sake of, um, Mm. building a, a culture of wisdom and compassion. Um, so, so maybe it's a little bit, um, different there, but depending upon like the shaman, if a shaman has a big heart, well, then that's what they're going to be, you know, that's what they'll be manifesting. I would imagine. Right. I almost feel like it's taken it. Like, I feel like manifestation implies a bit of, uh, surrender to the idea of it happening, um, attached, you know, with a higher emotion, but you have the specific thing that you desire to manifest and then you surrender and you let go of it. Whereas I feel like there's like this stage after that, that creativity creation stage that you're talking about, which implies that, um, or as though, as I understood it through plant medicine, it was like the, the surrender and the lack of attachment to it got to disappear disappear. I got to be attached to the idea. I got to say exactly what I wanted. And maybe because I already was completely love and light at that point, um, and, and am still currently like, it just was more like, okay, well I'm going to need this. And it's all because my path personally is all love and light and creating for the betterment of helping people heal and helping the world heal. Everything I'm asking for either helps put me on that path to facilitate that or brings about more of it for other people. And um, it just felt like I started to be able to ask for, to to request everything. Um, I was like, how about some more money in my bank account? And then like the exact Mm -hmm. amount I requested showed up and I was like, cool. How about they not charge me for my bags that are 10 pounds overweight? And like literally having people look at me and look down and I'm like, like rewriting the programming in their mind to be like not going to charge her and having the guy who takes off the carries off the bags looking at the the woman checking me in and it being like it's in spanish so he's like excessivo excessivo which is like excess weight and she's just sort of like looking at it and looking back at me as i'm like you're not going to charge me and finally she's like no no you'll be fine just here you go like Mm -hmm. it's interesting how many things like that i was able to create while I was really in that creationary attachment Mm -hmm. creationary field yeah 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 so so in in the tradition that I practice in 
what they understand is once you have, so, so the more and more you have access to that unified field, and then as you shift your identity to it, so that your fundamental, so that basically your basis of operation stays there. Once you stay there, then, mm. then you can become super creative about what it is that you're wanting to manifest because then you're, you're actively dreaming. Like if, if you can, if you can recognize that you're the fundamental space and openness of reality and that from that openness, which is nothing that you're then dreaming something into existence and that dreaming then mm. kind of permeates to the energetic level. And then to the extent that it, it is, it is charged by your, your love and your compassion, because that's what creates this field of resonance. Um, the world, the world starts to dance. That's it's it's creative, and, and um, I mean that's so that's so much about why we're here, right? Is we're here as human beings to create, right? Well, I mean, mm -hmm. I think that that's beings where, um, yeah. So much of the spiritual path is really about learning how to be creative. Mm. Yeah. What are you creating right now? What am I creating? Um, that's a great question. Um, well, I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm creating is a four year, um, curriculum for, for my students. So that's, mm -hmm. that's been in process for a while. Um, also, you know, we have, I'm in the process of developing this kind of, early stages now, but like a practice village in Costa Rica, um, so that we can, you know, we can kind of, when, when the kids get old enough, Nicole and I can go and just practice in, in real, you know, real, uh, real depth environment. Um, you know, my real, my real interest is, is building educational, educational systems. So, um, I mean, part of the the uh, Karuna Mandala and the curriculum for that is then building the the kind of long term infrastructure that really allows people like ourselves to go on a on a lifelong journey. Because um, you know, if if you understand that there is a path to walk, and if you can build the infrastructure that allows people to do that, and and that people don't have to keep searching, you know, let's it's like you don't have to keep searching once you can once you know you you understand <laughs> what the, what the technologies are what the curriculum is then um then it's more like a a process of learning right rather than kind of um rather than searching mm -hmm. so that's that's my um that's what i'm in, in a creating right now is a, a school oh very cool i love that that was always like my backup plan, which it starts, starts to come more and more to the forefront of, uh, why does, why does it have to be my backup plan? But it was that like, if everything in my life shit hit the fan, I was just going to get rid of everything and go become a monk, um, <laughs> study, study Buddhism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to in the world. So we don't have to give it up. You could, we, we need to bring Hogwarts here. Yes. Yes, please. Yeah. And so yeah you know, you're creating that now. Um, 
what what spoke to you about Costa Rica? Oh, I, I've I've spent I've um I've, I've been visiting there for like the last eight years, and uh, I just mm. it's, it's a place that we um our family's just uh yeah we it's a uh, the field there is really clean. I, it's it's uh, mm. it's beautiful, um, yeah, and it's where it's where spirit reveal you know showed me to like hey you know this is this is a this is where you have connections this is where you have um, uh, friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm, um, I'm hoping to you know to build something in Costa Rica, and I'd also like to build something in Europe as well, because essentially what I'm interested in doing is building practice villages right because we we really need to have um we need to build environments within which the new culture can be um can be worked out and to do that you need to be mm. around people and need to be engaged in, in practices um you know we had a my wife and i we had a, a center in um in boston for 15 years a, a practice center you know, and it's very different. Wow. It's very different if you're if you're working with people day in day out, and you see people every day. It's a very different kind of. Um, oh, it's a very different kind of um, of growth possibility than if you're just than if it's just a, a weekend workshop or if it's just a retreat, right? It, there's something Absolutely. about being being around one another. No. Um, day in day out and then you know whether that's meditation practice whether that's circling whether that's plant medicine work um i mean all of these were all technologies that were part of the village right like you know it's mm. like if you take if you take the village away and it's just individuals going on their own journeys um i'm not so interested in that uh, you know for me yeah. what's more interesting is, is groups and, and, and the group soul, right? And, and to do that, of course, actually, you need a really high level of, of individuation, right? You need to be a true individual and actually in, in, a, in, in order to function as part of a group soul, right? It's, so mm-hmm. um, that part of the journey of individuation is just a step along the way. Yeah, so that's, that's the kind of, you know, that's the next 15 years. Yeah, and I love that um, authenticity plays such a beautiful role in the growth of society, individual authenticity even, um, that the more that we own ourselves and who we truly are, it's a benefit to all of society and those around us. And it empowers mm-hmm. others to deeply be their own authentic selves as well. And then you begin to look around and, and everyone's surrendering to who they are. And once you're surrendered to who you are, it's easier to surrender into the unified field because there's less mm. barriers to entry. There's less things that seem scary in that surrender. Um, yeah, we, yeah. yeah we, all, we all need each other for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me too. And so uh, you, you developed planetary dharma? Is that am I correct in that understanding? Well, that's a good question. Um, yes and no. Um, you know, I you know my own my own journey um, had a pretty significant kind of awakening when I was around seventeen, um, mm. 
and um what was that one, like um that was interesting um it, it, yeah it, it was like a um well I, i've already said that i was very interested in in these sorts of studies and then i was like sitting on my bed one day like reading some text and it was as if i was sitting on a bed reading that text in in a hundred other places in a hundred other times and then like the mm. whole uh, non dual ground of being just opened up um Oof. so that that and then and then about a few weeks after that then like then then it began to impact my my heart um and I, <laughs> my poor mother cuz at the time i was like I went through a time of just bawling my eyes out because of all the all the animals that were suffering <laughs> you know and mm-hmm. and you know just the level of sensitivity was excruciating um you know really mm-hmm. just that kind of really broke open my heart um and then the and then the third phase of that awakening process was more cognitive it was like um uh like getting blueprints if you will or downloads of um a of a planetary of of how to um rebuild or how to kind of externalize a tradition that's been here for a long time but hadn't really reestablished itself back on the physical plane for um since Atlantis <laughs> you know so so Ooh. i mean and it wasn't even that i necessarily believed in these kinds of things it was just like well that's what came in um and so so i i feel like how do you um, not believe now yeah well then you just act you know like that's not mine to believe or not believe if that's that that's what manifests then you just kind of act as if that's what you're doing because you know yep um this is your reality and um yes my reality that's right um And so anyway like like I mean I think that obviously I'm not the only one who's who's part of that. Um I think that we all obviously carry certain you know gifts um and in that sense I think I've I've architected these kinds of things before. So um you know oh look who's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a dog yeah, as so, well. Yeah. This is Apollo's yeah, guest yeah. appearance. <laughs> guest appearance. Yes, yeah, so um yeah i'm i'm kind of a uh what what i'm calling planetary dharma right now is uh i think is a is a is a collective um unfolding that's happening um and um so in that sense it's not just me but in terms of articulating mm-hmm. um articulating it and developing um a path you know i'm i'm in the process of beginning to do that and now finding teachers who I can also work with to do that. Mm. Oof. Is that a challenge finding people? Well, I think one of the challenges that we have, right, is that in order to actually um to do what it is that we need that we need to do, we have to have organization. Like like mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of really there's there's quite a few really good teachers out there, but but the predicament of the postmodern teacher is that he or she is teaching by themselves and then because of mm. that they're at the mercy of the market 
which is, and they don't have the support of of a tradition. And the problem with that, of course, is if you're, the, if you're at the mercy of the market, you're always just generating what it is that kind of people need on the surface, which isn't the same thing as actually being able to actually build something, right? Now, to build something like to like a, like like the uh, spirit the spiritual version of putting somebody on the moon, to do that mm-hmm. involves bringing different people together with different core skills both in terms of like organization and also in terms of various teachings that fit together. Um, And of course, what makes it super difficult is that the generally, generally the field has a kind of postmodern anti-hierarchical, no one's going to tell me what to do, (laughs) which of course, when, when, when you have that, you can't build anything. Because everybody wants to decentralize, decentralize everything, which is fine. But actually, <laughs> if if you don't understand that beyond decentralization is holarchy, right? The, the the necessity to actually build structures that are kind of hierarchically structured, because that's how reality is hierarchically structured. I mean, that's really the challenge that we have: is that um, mm-hmm. we have to get over our postmodern sense of wanting to everybody to be at the same level to get to a place of well okay how do we build something where which is going to last for generations right um Hmm. because these i mean these traditions are are sciences right i mean for instance um the uh the shaman your mentor that, that you that you mentioned Right, like how how do we how does that fit into the meditative pieces? How do we integrate those pieces? Right, um, all those kind. Yeah, you're reading that, my mind right now. Yeah, all that kind of work is um, it's very important, and it has to be done with like a super high level of integrity. Hmm. Yeah, and I think I think that there's a certain level of meditations that can be provided by. Um, everyone working together and and the people who are, who know the most about bringing that knowledge into this reality with um, when we're not in the medicine, um, adding to the plant medicine work that someone who knows the plant medicine work deeper than almost anyone else in existence. It's um, kind of a cohesive group that way, if everyone's willing to, to work together and then we, we generate better humans. We, we generate people ascending to their, their spirit level. Well, that, that's how you build schools, right? It's, it's, it's really like mm-hmm. building schools for adults. But, mm-hmm. And then to do that, yeah. you, have to, you have to work out, well, what are the grades, right? We have no problem working that out from like K to 12. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what, what you learned, what are the metacognitive pieces? What are, what's the emotional work that needs to be done? What's the, you know, the, the, I mean, what's the relational piece that needs to be done at each of these stages? Um, I mean, I think that that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's really exciting about the time that we're in is that these various fields are beginning to touch one another, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's really what has drawn me to you. Um, and the more I've gotten to, the, well, the little I've gotten to know about you, it just, um, and the work that you do is really I was like, I don't know everything that Dr. John offers, but it's like 
you offer this thread to tie together what I've been learning in plant medicine and the mysticism and tying it together with what I thought previously was my my everyday reality that uh, you're showing me is my own self-limiting belief. So let's see, just there, I'm like, oh, he already did the thread with the knot. He already tied the two things together. Like, it's great. But that was just <laughs> one workshop. <laughs> what are we going to do in a whole year? <laughs> And so what is, um, what are you offering? How can my listeners work with you if they desire to, or? Well, so, yeah. So next year, um, starting in January, which is, that's a year long, first year of a four year long training. Um, Mm -hmm. and we could talk a little bit about that. Um, I think I might offer a few weekends during the year just because otherwise, um, I'll be too insular. So there will be opportunity to do kind of open retreats, um, and um, I do work one-on-one with people, um, but we'll see because part of a lot of my time will be taken up working with the, with the people on, on the program. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, next year, the, the, you know, the focus of next year really is kind of like in some ways is traditional mysticism. Um, mm. and by, what I mean by that is, is, um, uh, you know, much of traditional mysticism has to do with like the process of kind of of, of unity, of um, mm. of uh, experiencing kind of being at one with whatever the, whatever the, the the thou is, right? Um, and in that sense, mm. people often talk about about that as being in terms of co- concentration practice, like. If you're going to concentrate on on like on love, right? So a lot of what we're going to be doing next year is going to be working with the heart, and working with essentially kind of deepening, deepening of layers into into love. So kind of mm-hmm. traditional love mysticism. Um, so that involves like developing certain psychological capacities for like sustaining attention, sustaining interest sustaining peak mm. performance um, mm-hmm. and like learning to develop um, positive states, learning to develop um, kind of ecstatic states of, mm. of bliss, all of that in service of then being able to really rest the mind and just have the mind just kind of rest into like its intimacy with reality. So that's a very like traditional kind of, curriculum right of like a you know a christian mystic or a jewish mystic or a sufi mystic or hindu mystic would recognize that kind of process it's kind of common mm-hmm. all in all the schools including buddhism um, and then the second year we we work on some practices which are more buddhist which are really about then opening up that unity to a sense of um kind of complete openness and interpenetration with everything. Um, mm. Yeah. So we, we, yeah, we, we, we are going to be focusing really on um, developing. It's like the, the, the spiritual maturity of the self, mm. not transcending the self, but like of the self, right? Like the self, cause the self needs to develop character the self needs to develop stamina the self needs to develop enthusiasm the self needs to develop 
attention, right? The, the, because there's also parts of you and me that aren't that, right? Sure. There's a part of you, right? But but this has got to do with like, what what does the self need to, to, to learn so that the self can then like connect into the, the unified field in a stable way? Mm. Yeah. Like that, uh, that was something I identified earlier as I was, um, was feeling low energy today. And one of my best friends was like, what do you need to feel more connected today? And I was like, ah, I need to get back in touch with my sense of play and I need mm -hmm. to get in touch with a little more of my tantric energy. And like, I think mm -hmm. I'm going to do that through dance. And when those two things for me specifically combine, then it's like magic starts happening left and right. Mm -hmm. It's like. Um, what are, what's your secret? Well, those are your disciplines. Mm -hmm. Meaning that like you, you know that you should dance. You, you know that you should, you know, I mean, I do too. I know yeah. I should dance. I know I should play. Right. But, they're, but they're, <laughs> right. But the real, the real, <clears throat> the real practice is, do I have the ability to remember that that's what I need to do? Mm, right. So, so that's kind of like, that's a, so, so next year, the focus is, is going to be on, it's like that kind of level of practice of like, of, of, of how do we master setting goals? So, so it's interesting because people don't think of mm. goal setting and goal attainment necessarily as part of the spiritual journey. But actually at one level of mind where you're, where you're first beginning, where you're, you're really learning, well, how does the mind work? that actually there is a part of us that's really about, you have to master how to do that. Like, this is the goal. Mm. This is how you get there. Do it. This is the goal. This is yeah. how you get there. Do it. This is the goal. Yeah. Right. This is how you get there. Do it. Now that, mm -hmm. that lesson, as you learn that lesson, as you get more confidence in that, it doesn't just apply to meditation. It applies to the other parts of your life. Like, Oh, this is how you get there. Then just, then do it right. So, so that, um, but when we're when you put yourself in a process where you can study and see, and this is what I find fascinating, where you can see that your mind is changing by engaging that, mm. right? That you that you do something, you practice something, changes in the mind, and you do it again, and it changes again. That gives mm. us like, like more and more confidence to do that with more and more parts of our lives. Right, that we can become yes. self self authoring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's uh, something I used to sort of figure out my own happiness. Was um, I started just taking every tool I could get and trying it to see what stuck and what worked, and um, by I became like addicted to trying new things because I knew after after ten of them, for instance, I knew that each new thing I learned was going to have an impact, whether it was the thing or just something that was helpful or another tool to have in my toolkit. Like I became addicted to that growth and to that self exploration. And in the beginning, it was hard and it sucked. And it's like you're feeling depressed and you don't want to change your thought process because we love to live in that, in those thoughts that we know in those energy patterns that we're familiar with. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and it's sort of like that goal setting and attainment where it was like, okay, no, wait, no, now I know I have to 
change the thought process. I have to get up and I have to dance. I have to do the thing that's going to immediately change it instead of wallowing in it for days. And um, that's, that's right. And, and yeah. of course, the paradox is, is one part of the spiritual journey is like learning how to become and learning mm. how to set goals and pass them. And then another part of the journey is learning to have no goals and then everything <laughs> is exactly as it is right now. Right. Yeah. And how those two dynamics relate to one another, mm. that's what we're that's where real mastery is, right? It's like because yeah. on the other hand, if we're not happy and content with where we're at, where we are, we're never gonna be happy and content because we're conditioning mm. ourselves for more discontent. Um yeah. yeah, I always find that that's a that balance, um that's such an art. Yeah, well, and what a dance of the masculine and the feminine, right? The masculine to set the goals and the feminine to do the surrender and like mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. To, to watch that just continuously peak and valley and um, hmm. yeah. Well, I am so looking forward to working with you next year and uh, and all the things. How can my listeners keep up with you? Um, are you on social media? Not really. <laughs> You're kind of on social media. I'm in my cave, deep in the Himalayas. <laughs> Luckily, I have a teenage daughter now who is like, who's who is like, rolls her eyes at my lack of social media um, expertise. Um, I am on social media. I'm on Instagram. Uh, well, my my okay. teenage daughter is on Instagram for me. <laughs> um, oh, Prudamantla.org okay. website, and um, you can find me on Instagram at Planetary Dharma. Um, yeah, and also my other website is Samadhi Integral. That's more my um, private consulting website. Okay. Well, I will have those all linked up in the show notes. And I only give you shit about not being on social media because I think I was like your 30th follower um, right after you <laughs> – clearly you got one for the Aubrey Marcus podcast airing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I watched you yeah. like snowball yeah. and I was like, oh, this guy yeah, doesn't was, actually was, know how to use this. That was one of my manifestations. I peeked my head out of the cave and then, and then boom. And, and it's like, oh, that works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been such a pleasure and I can't wait to get to know you more and all the things that we'll do over the next four years, I guess. Yeah. Thank you, Barrett. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and review this podcast wherever you're listening. I'm so grateful to have you on this journey with me. Until next time.